1: Hi, guys. Quick one before we get into the episode. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster, which is the production suite that I've used from the very beginning of this podcast. And if you're interested in starting your own podcast, hang around at the end of the episode for our 30% discount referral code. Thanks.
0: So, our podcast is called Right and Wrong. <laughs>
1: Are these your notes? These are your notes about what we're going to say. Uh, Anything Just a short answer. So how many novels did you not finish? Oh my God, so many. It was perfect. What's she talking about? This is not
0: a A spicy question. I love it.
1: (laughs) This is it, guys. The big secret (laughs) to getting published is you have to write a good book. (laughs) I'm going to hear first. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. I'm Jamie and today I'm in great company with Amber Caraveo of the Skylark Literary Agency. Hi, Amber. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Jamie. Nice to be here.
1: Well, thanks for coming. It's so nice to have you. We I've already had one half of Yeah. I was lucky enough to have Joanna on the podcast uh, yes. a while ago. We talked about the two of you creating Skylark um, Going back before then, I'd love to hear um, sort of your side of where publishing started for you, because am I right in thinking you came from an editorial background?
0: Yes, that's right. So for me, publishing started um, really with working partners. So I was part of the working partners mm-hmm. team. And. Um, Working partners, for those of your listeners who may not know already, um, are a packager, basically, which means they come up with ideas for books, typically series fiction, um, and they create the storylines and they create the concept and then they find writers to work with to actually write up those storylines into into books. Um, And My time at Working Partners, we did lots of wonderful series. Rainbow Magic um, was a big one um, that I developed and ran for many years. Um, Also, other great series um, that people will probably be familiar with but may not know are Working Partners series. So Animal Ark Mm. is a good example. Um, Rainbow Magic Warriors, Warrior Cats is another one. Um, beast quest is another one um, heartland which was made into a tv yeah. series um, the lady grace mysteries um, which is a tudor mystery series uh, lots and lots of amazing wonderful series that working partners created um, and then work with writers to turn into books which they then sell to publishers and the publishers publish them in in the usual way um, and i Worked with Working Partners for many happy years creating books. And then I was headhunted to go to um, Random House Children's Books as a commissioning editor there. Um, And I was there for several years before moving on to Orion. Um, And I was the editorial director of Orion Children's Books, which was a marvelous list. quite literary, quite a literary award-winning list, um, and that was that was lovely. We had great authors like Liz Kessler, Holly Black, Marcus Sedgwick, um, Caroline Lawrence, I mean, a wonderful, wonderful stable of just marvellous award-winning authors. Um, and I was with Orion for about five years, and then, um, as you probably heard from Joanna, I really wanted to set up something of my own. And I talked to Joe about this, the idea of starting an agency um, where we could work directly with authors. Because when you're working for the big corporate publishers, you get higher and higher up the ladder and you get further and further removed from the authors. You know, it becomes all about strategy and budgets and profit and loss and mapping out the (laughs) list (laughs) um, for the year ahead or the couple of years ahead. Um, and you aren't working so directly with the authors and their books, and I really missed that. So Joe and I, Joe and I, decided to um, set up Skylark, um and get back to working directly with the authors again.
1: Oh, that's really nice. I mean, and that's the same in so many careers, where the higher up you get, the sort of further you get from the creation or the product of, of whatever the industry is.
0: Yeah, and the bit that you liked in the first place, right? Yeah, that exactly. Made want to do it, you know. <laughs> So, yes, I think that is very common. Um, And there are, you know, I am not the first editor to, you know, turn into an agent. You know, lots of Mm -hmm. publishers um, do at some point decide they want a bit more freedom and, you know, um, set up an agency um, as we have done. And it's it's quite nice. It puts us in a in a good position because, of course, we've worked now. On both sides of the the spectrum, we've we're poacher turned gamekeeper really because we we've, we've worked for the publishers, we've negotiated with agents as a publisher, trying to get the best deal for the publisher, and now we've simply sort of jumped the fence and um, we're now working for the authors, trying to get the best deal we can from the publisher. Um, yeah. You know, so it we, it's a good position really. We we kind of know the ins and outs, and you know we know the the tricks of the trade.
1: Because I imagine as in your time as a commissioning editor and presumably as editorial director, so much of that time is spent um, sort of meeting with agents and and receiving pitches about authors and then choosing which uh, books the publisher takes on.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's a, a huge amount of your time and, and really important. And you're liaising with agents all the time because you're either liaising with them in order to find great material and find great authors in the first place, or you're liaising with them in contracts, you know, in negotiations. Yeah. Uh, so we worked with loads of agents and most of them, I mean, publishing, especially children's publishing is a lovely industry. Um, most people in publishing are just really a joy to work with lovely people um we're very lucky to work in this industry and you know we we really enjoyed working with the agents and most of them were absolutely fantastic but as with any industry there are the people that you think are doing a better job than others and Mm. we felt that as agents we could sort of set up Skylark to be you know, um, to steal from Carlsberg, the best agency in the world. (laughs) Um, That's what we set out to be for our authors. You know, we wanted to find new talent. We wanted to work predominantly with up and coming new authors that that didn't have the support um, and, you know, nurture that new talent for children um to get great books into the hands of children um and so we set out to be the best agency that we could possibly be for an author that was our goal um and i i hope you know that that is what we've managed to achieve um i feel i think it is i think our authors are are very they seem very happy which is how we like them to be um we work very hard to keep them happy um i think we do a good job we know what our publishing colleagues need and want. Um, So we work very closely with our authors to make sure that their manuscripts are in great shape, so that when they go to the publishers, they have the best possible chance of being picked up, because the editors can immediately see that this is a potential book that this is in great shape that they don't have to do too much editorial work themselves to get it where it needs to be so that's that's a great bonus that that we can bring to our authors and you know we work very hard to adjust our style of working to suit them uh we are very bespoke as an agency um and we do we work with our authors in the way that suits them best so that's not the same for every author you know it it, it varies depending on you know some of them like lots of hand holding and lots of discussions and and lots of sort of advice and and nurturing and others you know just want to be left alone to get on with it quietly in their own way um and we're very happy to to work with them either way
1: amazing i i mean i do i know a, a handful of people uh, who are signed with you or, um, Joanna and they all do seem very happy. Uh, so.
0: Glad to hear it. (laughs) That's reassuring. Um, yeah, you know, we, we do try very hard and, um, we have quite a small, we don't take on huge numbers. We're a small agency, deliberately so, um, you know, we're aiming to be the best, not the biggest. Um, So we deliberately have stayed small. We take on only the authors that we really feel are the very best. I mean, we are selling to our former colleagues, you know, the people that we mm-hmm. used to work with when we were publishers ourselves. So we're very conscious that we want them to be impressed by the work that we send them. Um, we want them to to jump on it and and read it quickly when it comes to them, um, and. So we have a reputation to to keep up. So we only sign authors that we really think are the best of the best, and we really feel have a a career ahead of them. Um, and and we're proud, really proud of all our authors, and proud to to sell them into the publishers.
1: Yeah, I mean, coming, you know, the two of you between you have so much experience on the other side of that fence, and coming from the editorial side, the publishing side, do you do you think that your more hands-on with editing maybe than other agents?
0: I guess we probably are. Yes, I think so. Um, Obviously, we don't know the ins and outs of how every other agency works, but certainly the feedback that we get from authors is that we do tend to be a bit more editorial, and I think that's inevitable given our background. There are definitely other agencies. There are other agencies run by former editors like ourselves. I'm quite sure they probably do quite a lot of editorial work. Um, And then there are other agencies who who maybe haven't been editors, but obviously they've been working in the industry a long time. And I think they... You know, edit as well. I think um, most agencies probably do some work with their authors before sending out, but I think that's something we probably do more of. Um, it's very hard once you've been an editor to to kind of turn that off.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I can. Imagine. And we
0: enjoy it. You know, that's uh, working with the authors, helping them brainstorm ideas, helping them polish and fine tune those ideas. Is something that we've always done and I've always done. I mean, that you know, I loved working partners because it gave me that opportunity to be really creative with the authors. And I think that's something that is always going to be dear to my heart. So, you know, that editorial side of things is is quite a big thing for us.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's the role of an agent has changed over, you know, the last few decades where Editorial is a huge part of being an agent now, whereas I think historically it wasn't as big a part.
0: I would agree with that completely. I think editors also have less time for editing now. They they tend to be very very um, overworked, basically. Um, yeah. you know, overstretched, um, and they love their jobs most of them I mean you know just as Joanna and I did but you know there's only so much you can do in a day and I think increasingly if a book is in really great shape when it comes to them that makes their life easier Um, they can sell it more easily to their colleagues to their the other teams in-house the the rights team the marketing team the sales team you know it's much easier if they're showing them a manuscript that's already tip top. Um, it's easier to get those other teams on board um, and to get the book through the acquisition process in-house. Um, and, you know, and then also when they come to edit the book, there's not quite so much work for them to have to do. So I think it makes their lives easier. And increasingly, as editors become, you know, more and more stretched, agents are having to take up some of that editorial work. And, you know, that that suits us because, you know, that's what we love. That's what we love doing. And we are editors at heart. So we have no problem with that. Um, but anything, you know, we can do to help our authors and to, to help make a sale and to help get their books published and into children's hands, um, you know, that's, that's our job. That's what we want to do.
1: Yes, exactly. Figuring out what needs to happen and then yeah. providing assistance where it's needed. Yes. So talking about the processes... And this is something that uh it's always interesting to me. I always ask every agent that comes on is um submissions are you you're currently open to submissions
0: yes yeah'm
1: submissions. and the submission package at skylark um and I talked about this at length with joanna because it's it's uh it's a cover letter, a synopsis, and then the full manuscript yes which is um an anomaly I think in the industry I don't know if there's any oh other agencies.
0: God. Yes, I think, basically, we are a reasonably new agency. Um, mm. Lots of agencies um were established many, many years ago, and they, that in a time when people were sending paper manuscripts. Yeah. And, you know, you can't ask for the, I mean, imagine the trees, you know, that would <laughs> be um, if everybody was sending out their full manuscript to every agent. I mean, Every agent would be buried under a pile of paper for a start. Um, and also it would be incredibly wasteful. Um, and it, you know, wasn't hugely necessary because agents would read the first three chapters. Yeah. And if yeah. they wanted, you know, if they felt there was real potential there, they would request the full. And mm-hmm. then the author would send them, you know, a pile of paper um, and send the full manuscript. But nowadays, we're all working um, digitally you know, online through email. So sending a full manuscript is at the click of a button. Um, You're not having to send a pile of paper. We are not, you know, completely buried under mountains of manuscripts. Um, So it makes sense to us to simply request the full from the start. That way, we are not reading three chapters, getting enthralled, wanting to read more, can't because we've only got the three chapters, having to go back to the author and request the full. Then we have to wait for them to send us the full manuscript. Meanwhile, we may well move on to something else to read in the meantime. By which point, when we get the full manuscript, we've then lost momentum on that script, moved on to something else, and it can be quite difficult to get your head back in the zone and get back into it. We just find it's much easier to ask for the full manuscript up front. That way, if we like what we're reading, we can simply forge ahead, keep going, get to the end, and you know, make a make an informed decision. Also, it's useful to have a full manuscript to flick through, to maybe sometimes jump to the end. You know, when you're considering a manuscript um, as an agent and considering it as a as a business proposition, it's useful to be able to flick through the whole thing, jump to the end. How has the author wrapped this up? How are they handling their subject? How are they handling their plot? And it it's very hard. You can't tell that from just three chapters alone. So to yeah. have a full manuscript from the outset is hugely beneficial to us and very easy nowadays um, because of the the nature of email and attachments.
1: Yeah, I mean it just makes sense. Jo- I mean Joanna had me convinced as well, well.
0: I, I, it well wouldn't done, surprise Joe.
1: me <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if it became um, a much more common thing across all the different agencies uh, in, yes. in the not so distant future because it ju- it does just make sense it's also good I think for you as agents to know how serious an author is. author is because I'm sure you've had sure you must have experienced before where an author has sent you three chapters you ask for the full manuscript and are told that oh actually it doesn't exist yet
0: yes yes (laughs) and and that avoids that you know because we're asking for the full so it's got to be ready Mm -hmm. um you know we don't want to read three chapters and then have to wait a year for them to finish the manuscript that's not how it absolutely not how the publishing industry operates um so you know, it, it's really useful to have the full and then we know they're ready and you know we can crack on um and make progress. So I don't know, maybe it will become the norm. I don't I don't know. I but think yeah, you know the, the system is working for others, you know, yeah. the way they have it now. And, you know, they're happy. But this we've found that this works very well for us.
1: Yeah. Well that you know that and that's that's the main thing, as with all things in publishing especially everyone does it their own way and has their own way that they wish to do it. So you just have to find out what works for you. So once you open up a submission, um, you've got the, the full manuscript, the cover letter, the synopsis. What order Do you approach each of those parts and where do you attribute the most weight? You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated US-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.
0: The most weight by by, uh, many orders of magnitude (laughs) goes to the manuscript.
1: Mm -hmm. So
0: I would start by reading the cover email, and then I will immediately open the manuscript and dip into the to the start. And if it grabs me straight away, then that's a really great sign. And it will go, you know, higher up the list, as it were, on my reading pile. Um, so I think, and I'm I think that's true for many, many editors as well. When we send to editors submissions, I know that they sneakily kind of take a quick look when it first comes in and then if they really like it and it engages them immediately, they will keep reading and read it all the quicker. So this is why we often stress that a great opening is such a benefit to your manuscript. If you can open with something really exciting, different, surprising that hasn't been done before and really make your reader sit up and take notice, that's a a huge winning sort of tick in the box for your for your manuscript Um, so that's where I start I read the covering email I dive into the manuscript and if I like it and I think the writing looks strong then it goes you know onto the reading pile for proper proper reading and 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 thorough consideration Um, if I'm reading through a manuscript and I get quite a long way in and I'm still really enjoying it that's often when I'll turn to the synopsis Mm -hmm. sometimes to see, where is this going? Because sometimes if I have an idea of where it's going and what's going to happen at the end, I can more easily judge how it's developing and whether the pacing's right and whether it feels like it's being handled well and heading in the right direction. Um, So I find synopses most useful for that for giving me a sense of how the author envisages the overarching story of the book and you know where where we're going to end up um so the synopsis is very useful but it tends to be more useful when I'm further on and I already know that I like the writing
1: right yeah okay it's it's more is it more of a sort of time saver where yes. you've read enough that you're thinking this is good yeah and they stick the landing yes In which case you know yes. There's, a, there's a further conversation to happen here
0: yeah I, I exactly I think that's exactly how I use it you know it doesn't It never will take the place of reading the book because even if you read the synopsis and think, oh, yes, this is really interesting and and it looks like they've got a really good resolution at the end, you still have to read it, right? You still have to see that they can deliver it actually in writing in the story itself. But it is useful for giving me a sense of what I'm looking for, what I'm expecting. Um, but it's not, you know, if I if I don't love the writing, if I don't, you know, re- start the manuscript and really love what I'm reading, then I wouldn't turn to the synopsis. Um, the manuscript is by far and away the most important part of any submission. Mm-hmm. Um, and the strength of the writing and the, the ability of the author to suck you in as a reader and really engage you. Um, that that's the that's that black art. That's that thing that every agent is looking for.
1: Yeah, the X factor, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so um with the cover letter, how um sort of how much time do you give to co- to the cover letter? What are you sort of really looking for when you look at it?
0: Um not too much. I mean, I don't want a massively long cover letter, but mm-hmm. I do like it to give me a sense of who the author is. Okay. The ones where we sometimes get where they just say here's my manuscript. I'd love for you to consider it. It's called this. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's lovely. And we will, we do still consider it, of course, and um, doesn't change how we feel about the manuscript, but it's nice to get a sense of the author. I I do prefer the covering emails where they say, you know, my name's Susan and I live wherever and I have three dogs and two cats and, you know, three goats and 10 horses and, You know, and and I get a little bit of a sense of who they are and what they like and what they love and, you know, what their passions are. And maybe, you know, I love traveling around the world or I like this, that or the other. Anything, especially anything quirky about them, something that gives you a sense that you're reading a book by a real person. Because, you know, as an agent, we see so, so many books and every one of those books is written by somebody. Someone has put an immense amount of time and effort into creating this work of art and, For me, I really like to get a sense of the person behind the book. So what I really look for in a covering email is a brief kind of elevator pitch of the book itself, the title, what age group it's for um, and that kind of two or three line pitch that tells me what to expect. What kind of read is this going to be? And then a paragraph about them. And that's it, really. That that's what I want. And ov- obviously, it's really useful if they do have any previous writing experience, if they've been published before, if they've, you know, been shortlisted in any competitions, or you know, if they're a member of the SCBWI. Anything, anything like that. Um, that's useful for us to know as well. So that's worth including.
1: Yeah, just just dropping that in, in in a line or two at the end. Exactly. But yeah, I I see what you mean because even with you know when i come to a, a a book a lot of the time i will buy a book because of an interview that i heard or saw or read about something about an author will inspire me to subsequently buy a book by that author because i feel like i have gotten a sense of them yes and and i would like to experience the sort of fantastical part of that sense the f- whether it's fiction non-fiction or whatever it is the, the yes. sort of the concise, dramatised, focused version, the diamond, I guess, of, of their creation.
0: Yes, and I, I think that's true for a lot of people. I think if you engage with the author and invest in the author, it makes you that much more interested in yeah. what they've written, You know, in what their creative output is. Um, and obviously, as I say, by far and away, at the end of the day, the most important thing is the manuscript. If the manuscript is is pure gold, you know, we we will approach the author. We'll find out more about them if we need to, you know. So so it doesn't matter. You don't need to worry as an author about crafting a a, a beautiful covering email. That's mm-hmm. not important. Worry about crafting your manuscript. That's the really important bit. And then the covering email is literally to give us some information um and and as i say a little bit of a sense of who you are um so that we do feel like we are talking to and engaging with real people yeah Um, that's nice yeah
1: it feels like you've been approached on purpose and not just put in a blanket (laughs) sort of email (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah because there are people as well i mean we do get quite a lot of submissions from people who have clearly just blanketed Every age. I mean, we get, for example, as you know, we are a specialist children's and YA agency. Mm-hmm. So we don't do adult books. Um, and we've been sent porn. You know we've been sent all kinds of material that's totally inappropriate for our agency, yeah. so uh, you know it is it is good and it is always pleasing when it's clear that an author has taken the time to to look at our website to to know who we are, to check out our submission guidelines and to choose to submit specifically to us you know and not just you know every agent in the known universe.
1: Yes. Uh, always good to know that you've been researched and identified and you're not just a name on a list.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and then so that that's some of the sort of, sort of the good the good parts of um, submissions some of the nice stuff. Uh yeah. what are there any things that you sometimes see in either a cover letter or the submission itself the manuscript that instantly yeah. sort of make you think mm, I don't know about this. Um
0: that's a really good question. <laughs> there aren't a lot there are a few things I think we all have our little pet hates yeah they wouldn't stop me they wouldn't make me go oh that's it I'm never you know close the book you know walk away um but they they just sort of ring little alarm bells um for me I think one of those things is if if um an author sends me a a middle grade manuscript for example and says oh you know here's my manuscript it's for readers of you know 9 to 12 um and it's i don't know 70,000 words long okay yeah and i'm immediately thinking that that's too long that's too long for this age group yeah that's not to say that there has never been a book of that length written for that age group. I mean, J.K. Rowling, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, and, and some others, you know, there are those people who can absolutely kind of break the rules. And and so that is why I would still look at the manuscript and read the book and, and judge the writing and everything else, you know, but Generally speaking, publishers are looking for a middle grade manuscript to be between sort of 40 and 55,000 words long, very mm-hmm. roughly, very roughly. So if something is coming in at sixty five, seventy thousand 70,000 words and the author is saying it's middle grade, that makes me question how well they know the market, how familiar they are with their readers also how much control they have over their writing because they're they're running quite long there Um, so it just makes me think "Mm, okay there are some things I need to look out for here some things I need to consider Um, but you know some authors just are brilliant authors and they do write long and then we maybe work with them to to cut it down and to to make it you know the right, the perfect length. Some books just do need to be that long. But, but when you're writing long like that, you do need to consider the fact that you are giving your book another obstacle. That's another obstacle that you're, you're writing, that the brilliance of your writing and your story then need to overcome, if that makes sense. Yes. You have to remember, one of the things you really need to remember is that every agent and every editor is looking for foreign rights potential which means translation. And as soon as your book is translated into almost any other country in the world, in any other language, sorry, in the world, um, it gets longer. So if it's already too long, already on the long side, publishers have real trouble selling that book in translation because they know that for Germany, for example, it's going to be you know, even longer. And so for a young reader, it's going to look like even more of a doorstop, and it's going to be even more daunting to a young reader. So publishers have that in mind. And also translation costs, you know, the longer the book, the greater the translation costs. Mm -hmm. So that can put foreign publishers off as well. So as an agent, as as an editor in a publishing house, you are always looking for the books to be a suitable length a for the reader mainly for the reader because you want the reader to to love it and to engage with it and not to be daunted by it but also for those foreign readers and foreign publishers um because editors want foreign rights sales you know that those are one of the things that helps to make their book profitable yeah so so it's an important consideration so length length is is certainly something that i look at um also i like books that open in a different way, um, a lot of children's books open with our protagonist maybe being bullied at school or running away from bullies or facing bullies in some way. That's been done a lot, mm-hmm. so for me, that's an immediate sort of slight turn off. I mean, some people do it very well, and again, if you know if it's well done and if I like the story and I like the concept, it won't, it wouldn't stop me from considering that manuscript for representation, but. You know, it 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 does. I think it gives all of us a little bit of a sense of ennui um, because we've just seen it done so many times. So I do like it when an author, you know, is aware of other books, other things that are on the market, common tropes, common cliches, and has clearly, you know, striven to avoid those.
1: Yeah. No, that makes uh, that makes perfect sense. Do you think it's it is important then for people? Um querying and submitting their work to to not only just look at what the sort of um, average word count is for whatever genre they 're doing, but also look at the sort of market as a whole and and do a bit of market research before they start sending their submissions out
0: absolutely. I mean any other industry you need to know your field you know if you 're hoping to be an author and you're hoping to be published you absolutely need to know the market you need to know what's what's there for for readers the sort of readers that you think and hope will read your book what are they reading at the moment you know whose books are they buying what's doing really well that's not to say you want to duplicate that far from it you know you you want to write something fresh and new but you need to be aware of what's doing really well in the market. You know. What's suitable for your reader in terms of tone, length, pace, style? Um, you know, what perspectives can you use effectively for, for different age groups? So, there's a lot of things about the market you know publishers will expect you to have a good awareness of the market um so absolutely the best thing that you can do as a as a budding writer is to read 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 anything and everything that is already on the market and really get a sense for for what the market is like now i mean the the market for children's books has never been better i mean we have brilliant books now. I mean, the competition, I mean, in some, you know, there's pros and cons here. So many people want to write. Um there are so many authors that it does make it very competitive and it does make it difficult for you to get your book noticed. But it also means that we have books for children now that are better than ever. Um because that competition means that, you know, hopefully the cream rises to the top and I I still firmly believe that great writing will win through, you know. So if you're a new unheard of author, it doesn't matter. If you're writing great, great books um, and you are really talented, I do believe that that will win through. At the end of the day, agents and publishers, we all, we need authors. You know, this is what makes the publishing world go round, is the authors, we need them and their work. Um, And I do believe that great books, in the end win, win out.
1: Yes. And that ties in nicely with the the sentiment that um, one of the great things about writing is that you you don't really need anything to start doing it. You know, a pen and paper, a computer with Word, your phone. Yes. You can just start writing wherever you are, which is wonderful.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And everyone is looking for uh, new, original, unique voices, you know, who have something exciting to say. Um, and that doesn't need to be the same as everyone else. You know, we all do want things that are fresh and different. But, you know, it absolutely makes sense to have an awareness of the market and what you're what you're aiming at.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a it's a good and there's lots of ways you can get that. There's lots of newsletters, there's lots lots of communities yeah. that share these kinds of things. So you can just sort of without having to do um too much of your own sort of detective work, you can find places that have already put this all together for you.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we have a blog, um, the Skylark blog on our website, and we often talk about the kind of issues um, that we've been discussing, like word length, what's suitable word count for different age groups. We did a blog post about that. So if you go back through our old blog posts, you'll find all sorts of useful, hopefully, information about things like word counts, perspective um the book fairs people ask us about the book fairs and we did a blog post about those about how to cope with feedback um about waiting times in publishing you know all sorts of things like that, that people often ask about, um, or that writers often struggle with, you know, there's a lot of waiting around in publishing. And I think that writers sometimes, you know, that's hard, right? When you're on your own at home, waiting for somebody to get back to you out of the ether, you know, I think it's really difficult. And we talk about all of those kinds of issues. And writing groups you know like the scbwi which is the society of children's book writers and illustrators they're great you know that gives you a sense of community um twitter instagram the socials they can help to foster a bit of a sense of community between authors um and golden egg the golden egg academy they do lovely work with authors um so there are lots of groups out there and the other thing is, of course, I think if you are writing for children, any editor, any agent would expect you to be reading children's books. You know, yeah. we expect you to be experts in your field. Mm-hmm. If you're only write, reading adult material, adult books, there's no way that you can expect to write a super successful novel for kids. You you need to be in tune with the market, with what kids are reading nowadays, Um you know, it's not enough to, to be writing for children, but reading for grownups, you know? Yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And so Skylark, uh, representing children's authors from, uh, middle grade up to YA, is that right?
0: Um, a bit younger. We do five, five year olds. Okay. Um, early readers, I would say, you know, early reader chapter books all the way up to YA crossover. Um, so yes, that's our heartland. So everything from sort of five to twenty five, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, that that's our heartland and we will consider anything within those parameters. Um, yeah, that we think kids might get excited about. But we are actively looking. So, you know, please do, you know, share your work with us.
1: Yes. And um we're halfway through 2022 now right now. Are there any particular stories or character types that you are specifically looking to add to your list this year?
0: Um, I don't think so particularly. We are quite eclectic. We draw authors and stories from everywhere. All over, wherever we find them, and what we all we really want is great, great writing, brilliant, brilliant writing, um, which is an absolute talent. And we are looking for those rare, talented authors who just have that ability, that X factor that you mentioned earlier, where they put pen to paper and something amazing comes out. Um, that's more than just telling a story, you know. That's telling a story in a really unique, enthralling, mesmerizing way. Whether that's through their own authorial style, or whether that's through the voice of their character. Um, And that's what we're really looking for. Having said that, I would love to find some more UK homegrown YA. A lot of YA that's on the market at the moment is American. Um, American authors seem to write that very glossy YA very, very well um and it's doing very well for them but it would be great i know that publishers would like to find more uk authors um writing ya so i'd love to find some more homegrown ya i love an unreliable narrator (laughs) and that's very that's more common i would say in ya than for any other age group for obvious reasons um I love a good mystery, so YA mysteries. I'd love a good romance, so a good YA mystery or a YA romance, or dare I suggest it, both. <laughs> you know, all of the above would would be sensational. So I would say that's that's the big thing on my wish list at the moment: a great YA, something high concept, something that somehow feels like it hasn't been done to death. Um, but yes, romance. Um, or mystery, preferably contemporary. But I do love a bit of magic and and historical as well. So I'd be very open to any of that. Um, but other than that, I I mean I love middle grade books. Um, that's the heartland of children's publishing. So we are always open and keen to see middle grade, um, and just anybody who's got something exciting and a bit different to share with us is always welcome.
1: Awesome. Well, lots to lots to think about there and hopefully a few people listening will uh, be excited if, if their manuscript fits the bill. And that brings us on to the final question, which as always is, Amber, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would you take?
0: Oh, this is such a difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I I've really agonised over this. I think One of my all time favourite children's books is a book by Diana Wynne Jones called Fire and Hemlock. And that really spoke to me when I read it when I was younger. And I reread it as a grown up, and it still somehow really spoke to me. And I just love the way in that book she has married contemporary reality with with fantasy with with fable with folk tale and legend she does it absolutely brilliantly and i love books that do that i love the marriage of reality with with legend with folk tale um and that sense that it gives you that somehow folk tales and legend might be true you know <laughs> and and i've never lost that sense of wonder and that sense of possibility that maybe magic is real, maybe, you know, legends and folk tales and the fae folk and all of these wonderful things are true. So for me, Fire and Hemlock is right up there. Um, but I would also that the adult side of me would love to take a Jane Austen book as well. Yeah. Because I do love her and I always come back to her, especially in times of anxiety or trouble. I do love to read Jane Austen. Um,
1: She's always a winner, always a winning choice, Jane Austen.
0: Yeah, she's just a genius, genius author. Um, And I love historical novels. I love reading about the period. And and she is second to none. Um, So both, I mean, completely couldn't be more different, those those (laughs) two authors and those two choices. But I think they're both really vitally important to our literary heritage in, in different ways. Um, and for me, those, those are the sort of two ends of the spectrum and the two, the two books that I find really powerful, really powerful. And that I would love to have with me on a desert island.
1: Well, that's great. That's great. I mean, two, well, any Jane Austen is great, but excellent choices all around.
0: If I had to pick a Jane Austen, I think it would be Emma.
1: Okay. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I mean, there's so so many to choose from.
0: But there, I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, every book she wrote was was a winner for me. But but I think I have a soft spot in my heart for Emma because she's such a very fallible heroine, and I I yeah. love her, and I love that about her. So, um, that would be the one for me. But I mean, it was so difficult. So so many <laughs> great books. Uh, I really struggled with that question, as you can probably tell. But yes. Uh, but yes, anybody who's writing anything like Fire and Hemlock for kids now, um, send it my way. <laughs> Send it my way please.
1: Okay well thank you so much for coming on Amber and sharing your experience and and your kind of thoughts and feelings about the world of publishing and being an agent it's been really great chatting with you.
0: Oh well thank you for having me Jamie it's been an absolute pleasure and I hope that something somewhere in all of that proves useful um (laughs) your listeners and and also inspiring and and inspires them to to reach out to Skylark because I would love to see to see their work.
1: Yes, indeed. And for everyone listening, if you do want to keep up with what Amber is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at Amber Caraveo, which is A-M-B-E-R-C-A-R-A-V-E-O. You can follow Skylark at Skylark Lit on Twitter. Um, If you do want to submit, go over to the website, look at all the submission guidelines. Uh, You can also find Joanna on there as well. If you want to hear more from Joanna, go back to the episode where she was on the podcast. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on... Twitter, at RightAndWrongUK, or on Instagram, at RightAndWrongPodcast. You can also find us on Facebook. Thanks again to Amber, and thanks to everybody listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for hanging around until the end. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, but aren't really sure what that looks like, I can't recommend Zencaster enough. It's so simple to host, record, and download your podcast with, and it even has a built-in transcription AI. It functions entirely in the internet browser, which means all your guests have to do is click on a link and they'll be brought into the conversation. If you click on the link in the description, you'll get 30% off the first three months. All you have to do is click on the link in the description. Thanks again for supporting the show and we'll see you in the next episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or Mc Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Spin
0: your passion
1: into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website
0: across the social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records.